Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Hello and welcome back to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One. It is Sunday, July, what is today? July 9th, 2023. My goodness, we're already a month into the, the season of summer here in the Northern Hemisphere. Anyways, Mark Daly here and Mr. Mark Hamilton here as well to discuss the British Grand Prix that uh, finished just a few hours ago. And Mark, I love this time of year. No, not just the weather, but the fact that the, you know, the, the Formula One season is basically, well, it's been in full swing for a while. And uh, there, there's just so many great things to do at this time of year. And this was a, an, an interesting, interesting race this weekend that we saw at Silverstone. And again, I think I, I make this comment every year that every time I see a Formula One car going around Silverstone, to me, it just has to be the ultimate Formula One track. It is just so cool the way the, the, they throw themselves into those quarters. You got the Wellington Strait, the Hangar Strait. It is just a cool, cool, cool place to go racing. But uh, I'm getting ahead of myself. How are you doing today, my friend? Dude, I don't think you're getting ahead of yourself. I think we are responding to the feedback from our listeners, which is let's get right into it. I'm doing awesome. Thank you for asking. But I will put this to you because I talked sure. about it a little bit on the Thursday show. But I, I have to think that forget Monaco, like Silverstone for so many reasons has to be considered the crown jewel of the yes. calendar. It happens right smack dab in the middle of the championship. It is a phenomenal track. It is the home track to seven teams on the championship. Last year, we saw a record 420,000 people spin those turnstiles at, at Silverstone. This year, 450,000 people, half a million people over three days, Four eighty Silverstone. Four eighty. Okay, yeah. that's dude. That's crazy. That's it crazy. Writes, so, right? Oh, that that's that's nuts. And that blows that blows Austin out of the water and some of these other tracks. But it kind of speaks to the fact that I think Britain, in so many ways, is the motorsports homeland of the world. Is absolutely the F one homeland simply because so much of the supply chain and and the suppliers and the infrastructure and the junior series are there. But I love this track. I love this race. We got into it in tremendous detail on Thursday. All of the reasons why I like it. But this weekend. We, we had a great weekend. And, and when I say that, like the race was good, but the practice sessions were super compelling and qualifying was fantastic, man. I, you know what? I'm going to start this with practice and I just want to call out a couple of things. One, Williams was a shocker this weekend. And I, you and I, let's, let's call it duck a duck. We're not sitting down to watch free practice very often, maybe no. at the beginning <laughs> of the season. But one of the things that was so crazy this weekend is we saw, we saw Alex Albon posting these phenomenal practice times. And then Logan Sargent did as well, which is like, where did this come from? And I'm sitting here thinking Nicholas Latifi, wherever he is, is probably spinning in his grave that those two Williams drivers have Poor this Dickie. unbelievable, <laughs> <laughs> this unbelievable package. And then we also saw, we saw signs in practice that, wait a minute, that MCL 60, that, that McLaren looks pretty good as well. And you and I have spent so much time talking about Aston Martin and Mercedes and Ferrari that these two teams have kind of been sneaking into the picture and they really for me kind of set the set the table for what made this weekend so special 
Yeah, absolutely. And just one thing, just in general, I know this is maybe a little bit off tangent, but just about the Williams itself, can you please make this your full-time livery on the car? Yes. That sort of stylized oh Union Jack yes. on the back of the airbox? My God, like that looked great. But I mean, just to the side from the looks of the car, it was fantastic to see the way that uh, they, they, they were performing all weekend long. I mean, it, it was fantastic to see what Alex Albon was doing. Like, I, I mean, he was setting some phenomenal times and same with Logan as well. And I mean, by, by the time, like at the end of Q3, you have Alex Albon in eighth. I mean, that is just fantastic. I mean, uh, Logan's still kind of doing uh, things that, uh, that 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 rookies do, but I mean, I think that is just a f- phenomenal for them. A bit of a spoiler alert: uh, that uh, you know, Alex finished right where he started. He finished in P eight, which I think for for Williams is a fantastic result. And Logan just out of the points in P eleven, and it was basically a Williams sandwich around the two Ferraris, which we'll get to a, a little bit later as well. But it, it was great, and also those McLaren. Clarence and I've you know just kind of going with the with the livery theme here I know that they had like that uh, temporary livery that they kind of had the like the Le Mans the, that ice white from like the 80s and then the um, you know they got went with the chrome this weekend I kind of love like like the historic kind of like tie-ins but it's like you know McLaren over the years have had so many great you know, liveries on their car especially like this weekend with like the chrome on there from like the silver arrows of like the mercedes era i was like i almost wish they would go back to that full time as much as i love to switch that back to the papaya they looked uh, good as well but they looked even better on the track like moving than they did standing still i mean what a phenomenal phenomenal weekend that that, that they had i mean in qualifying you have lando in p2 you have oscar in p you know, starting in p3 on the second row and then by the time this is over i mean you have the two of them in the top four i mean piastri just losing out to lewis hamilton but still i mean what what a great weekend for them and uh, it was great to see the 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 joy that uh you, you could see just up and down the pit wall or like at least uh, in the mclaren box there in the garage it, it was just uh, fantastic to see because you know if you dial it back a couple of weeks ago to the last race you know we, we saw quite a huge delta between lando and oscar because lando had the new upgrades on the car Oscar didn't this weekend. They both had it. They're both going like stink. So, I mean, it's obvious that uh, the, the, the new upgrades on the McLaren work because they both look fantastic this weekend. And it's really impressive to see how far that this team has come because Mark, you and I were sitting here three months ago, three and a half months ago at the beginning of the season and watching how this team struggled thinking, Oh my God, if they don't do something drastic to get this car up to speed, you know, pun intended, this is going to be a long, long, long season. And of course, it's only one race. But, you know, if you take uh, this race and the previous one for Lando, I think, um, you know, there, there's plenty to be uh, positive about for McLaren at the moment. Yeah. And, you know, I was hoping to save this for a little bit later in the show, but I think now might <laughs> Sorry. be. Sorry. No, 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 no. This is this is perfect, man. And I think this is what people want is to us just jump right into the storylines. But um, I put together a perspective because I had a lot of people reach out to me over the weekend via text and fax, <laughs> not facts, <laughs> facts, but WhatsApp, WhatsApp, <laughs> et cetera. And they're just like, help me, help me understand how Williams and McLaren could make shuts supposedly like seemingly quantum leaps in performance so quickly. And I kind of want to back this up a little bit. So at the beginning of the season, if you recall, Zach Brown stated at the unveil for the MCL 60, that the car was a big piece of 
garbage. It was a junk. Yes. And he wanted to caution everyone right from the jump. And they had a couple of major issues in the offseason. One of them was the fact that we saw a rule change in the offseason, which was one of the things that was intended to reduce por- porpoising. But it was that the floor edges had to be raised 50 millimeters over the prior year. And McLaren really struggled or underestimated how much impact that was going to have on their car. So they came into the season and they fundamentally had borrowed from the Red Bull concept. The aerodynamic surfaces were very similar. We obviously didn't know what the floor looked like, but the aerodynamic surfaces were very similar. The suspension concept with the pull rod front and the push rod rear suspensions were very, very similar. The overall profile of the car was really good, but the floor edges and the floor were a huge, huge miss. So subsequent to that, this is a team that has worked diligently on the car. And a couple of weeks ago, of course, former two times world champion Mika Hakkinen had made a statement that, hey, look, the MCL 60 is on the verge of becoming a really competitive car. And since the beginning of the season, they've worked diligently on the car. They've introduced not one, but two new floors. They introduced a new hmm. floor earlier in the season, which was designed to address some of the, ig- or the issues associated with the floor edge. And then at Austria, they introduced a new floor as well. And that's where we began to see this car really, 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 really start to flourish. Now, over the course of the last two race weekends, and it's kind of been a staggered approach because they brought some of the upgrades for Lando first, and then they brought it to Piastri. And obviously, as we saw this weekend, they had significantly more upgrades even than the weekend before. And it's understood that they expect to have all of the upgrades that they have in their pipeline on this car for Hungary. So we could Mm. see incremental gains over what we've already seen. But in terms of what they've done, uh, they've introduced significantly new side pods. So they've gone to a side pod concept that is less Red Bull and more AMR 23. So with the deep, deep valleys, uh, they've completely redone all of the upper aerodynamic surfaces on the car. And typically you do that in tandem with the new floor because the two have to complement each other. Uh, they've done new inlet duct shapes, um, which are completely different than the concept that they had before. And incidentally, very similar to what Red Bull's doing. Uh, the aerodynamic surfaces on top of the halo are brand new, but fundamentally this car is, is new. It still has the same Red Bull-esque suspension setup, which is kind of unique for a Mercedes because the Mercedes cars typically go with something similar to the Mercedes factory team, but they have a new floor and new aerodynamic surfaces. This car is truly a B-spec McLaren. And that's why that's why we're starting to see these significant gains in performance because they've not only addressed the things that were functioning as real detractors early on, but they've they've also been able to incrementally update it. Now, 25% of their total pool of upgraded parts were introduced at Silverstone. And like I said, they've got some incremental upgrades coming for Hungary as well. So we could see some further, further gains. Uh, Post-race, Zach Brown was interviewed and he said like, hey, like, is this what you were expecting? And he said, look, I think people still need to be very cautious about about what we've seen this weekend and what we saw in flashes in Hungary or in Hungary, in Austria, like not to get too excited. But I think the fact that, like you said, you had two drivers qualifying P2, P3, had two drivers finishing in the top four. And let's be honest, Piastri was in line for his maiden podium finish before that unfortunately tied safety car on the third 34th lap like they are phenomenal now when it comes to williams and i promise mark mark is falling asleep at his desk here because he, <laughs> he's heard me ramble about all this so many times but the williams car is very very different so like the mclaren it it obviously has a mercedes power unit but it has a fundamentally different suspension it has push rod at the front and has a pull rod at the rear the one characteristic that makes the the williams very 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 special 
is it's arguably the fastest Formula One car in the world in a straight line. And what I mean by that is it is incredibly slippery. And if you look at the times it was setting in the straights this weekend and in Canada, it was consistently faster in the straights than the Red Bull, which is incredible. The problem, the single biggest problem that the that the Williams car has is it creates absolutely no downforce in the corners. So all of that speed advantage that it creates in those straights, it's all negated the minute it turns into a corner. So in Canada, for instance, it was significantly faster than Max and the Red Bull and all of those straights. But despite that, the, the Red Bull was four tenths of a second faster on every lap just because it killed it in those corners. Now they've got this kind of balancing act, right? Which is, hey, we have this one characteristic, which is our cars really fast in a straight line. So somewhere like Silverstone, which is a reasonably low downforce power track, it's going to do pretty well. Places like Monza and play, where it did well last year and places like Spa, it should excel. But that said, they've got to overcome this challenge that they have with not generating downforce in the corner. And the problem is you can make changes to the car that improve downforce in the corners, but typically that creates drag, which hampers your straight line performance. So it was interesting because post-race, Alex Albon was actually saying that the P8 in qualifying and his P8 in the race were really disappointing. Like I think five races ago, you would have said, Hey, that's a great weekend for Williams, but they had, they had Alex Albon was in the top five and all three practice qualifying sessions. I think the race result was probably a little bit disappointing, but he, and he was candidly saying like, look, we Williams, we're disappointed with a P8 and a points finish because we think the car, especially on a track like this is so, so, so much better. Now they've started to address some of the aerodynamic surface issues to create better downforce. They've introduced a completely new side pod design with that deep dish, which again, very similar to the Ferrari, very similar to to the AM23. Um, but I think they're in a good place. Now, the other thing that does benefit them more so than any other team is because they were last place in the championship last year, they get way more aerodynamic testing time than any other team. The problem though, the problem is they cannot optimize that because as James Vowles, Mark, can you keep me straight here? Is it James Vowles or James Vowles? I get I, I alternate back and forth. I think it's Voles, isn't it? Okay, James Voles, uh, of course, the new team principal that was brought over from the Mercedes team. I, I, I have a psychological block now when it comes to that name. But he said, look, we just don't have the infrastructure. Like, you can give us all the testing in the world. It's just very difficult for us to turn that into anything. But that said, they're developing the FW45 is better in every way than the FW44 was. It has all the benefits of that top line, straight line speed, but it's starting to create a little bit of, of downforce. And of course, it benefits from that really capable Mercedes power unit. And it's just, it's really fascinating because at the beginning of the season, man, I, I, I just, I dumped all over the concept of customer teams like Aston Martin, McLaren, Williams can never compete with Mercedes. And now you can argue that at any given time, they're outperforming the factory Mercedes team. So I wanted to kind of drag it back a little bit and give some insights into why all of a sudden Williams and McLaren seem so much better. Now, Hungary, again, that's not exactly a power track. So it'll be interesting to see how they perform. But when we get to, when we get to Monza and we get to Spa, that Williams should be a straight line rocket. And they should potentially be looking at top five finishes in that Grand Prix. 
Yeah, that's great. I mean, I, I'm glad that you, you mentioned that right at the end, because like, as you've been talking about that, I was just uh, thinking to myself that, okay, we, we had uh, some interesting moments here in the last couple of races for, 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 uh, for Williams and some fantastic results for them. But then you've got two really interesting tracks coming up before the summer break. We get a week off, then we're going to hu- Hungary in two weeks, and then we finish up the first half of the season at Belgium at the end of the month. So you got uh, Hungary, which is very much like a street it's but it's not, uh, you know, yeah. it's very slow. It's high downforce. There's only the one really long straight, I think. Which and the, they only always... the one overtaking opportunity, right? It, like exactly. the only place is that end of that long straight into T1 and that's it. Terrible. And like I'm some, not a huge fan of Sometimes into turn two and three for some of the, the braver, more pushy drivers. And then you go to a power track at Belgium at the end of the month. So you, you've really outlined it nicely, Mark, because I think that these next two races for Williams should be very, very interesting case studies to see where they are with this uh, with this car. I mean, I, I think logic just dictates that by, by the time we get to the Hungaro ring in two weeks, that they're going to struggle there just because it is a very twisty, you know, high down forest track. But then you get to spawn a couple of weeks, which is completely the opposite, you know, power circuit, lots of places to, to you know, to, to put the hammer down and really just to exploit that top end speed. So it should be uh, fun to watch. But yeah, interesting. Good. Just going back to the whole concept of uh, customer cars. You know, we, you look, you got Red Bull, at the front there with a with a Honda engine, but I mean that's basically a works team. But then you have uh, you know the 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 two uh, McLarens splitting the uh, you know being split by uh, Lewis Hamilton, and then uh, you know I, I think it's a very cool. And then you got uh, George Russell mixing it up there to to round out the top five. You know, so it's 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 interesting to see that you know that the customer teams sometimes can have their day i mean but you know like when we we look at like the red bull honda i mean like like you always say this this is in effect a works team even though they're not building their own you know engine like ferrari or mercedes are but it's no different than mclaren back say 15 20 years ago with the silver arrows like from the year of mika hackett and david coulthard and kimi raikkonen etc i mean that was you know a mclaren mercedes but that was basically a works team too i mean they were very much uh, equal partners but but, you know, that, that being said, very cool to see that those... Uh, Daily, P- can I ramble on one more time real quick? Yeah, I of promise, course, I promise it'll be really quick. <laughs> so I have one other really quick stat here. So sure. in Canada, by the way, the Williams in the straights were 13 kilometers an hour faster than were the Red Bull. That's not insignificant. Wow. That's um, huge. The other thing too is, and, I, and I, I apologize, I was watching F1 TV Pro when I jotted this down, so I apologize. This isn't something that I surfaced, but they made this reference to the current generation FW45 Williams as being very similar to the two. 2009 Force India, which was Hmm. an absolute rocket ship in the straights but generated absolutely no downforce in the corners <laughs> i think they i think they eventually scored some points in spa and monza no surprise because those are high speed tracks with very little demand on uh, kind of aerodynamic downforce creation but the one thing that i should add as well is that the championship from 22 to 25 is kind of unique right because historically you've got two departments when you're talking about building an f1 car you've got the t- the department that's working on the engine the power unit, and you've got the rest of the car, the chassis, the aerodynamics, and everything else associated with it. Right now, that power unit's frozen. So half of the car development is frozen, is being untouched. So the power unit that all of these teams basically started 2022 with is, is the exact same power unit they're using now. And I think there were some assumptions and beliefs that that Honda power unit was so significantly more 
capable and powerful than the rest of the field, that Red Bull was going to have this locked in advantage for the next four years, regardless of what they did with the aerodynamic features of the car. But I think what we're starting to see is that the Mercedes power unit in particular is especially capable. So I would expect maybe now you're going to see Williams and, and probably more likely McLaren with the MCL 60 and the 61. And of course, Mercedes with the FW 14 and the 15 makes them not insignificant gains on that car, but we should probably pivot back because we're sitting here, Mark, 15 minutes in the podcast. We're probably overdue for a break and we haven't even talked about Max Verstappen yet. Yeah, great point. Let's uh, take a quick break. We'll come back and let's uh, talk about Max winning the British Grand Prix at just a beer three and three quarter seconds ahead of Lando Norris. We'll talk about that and a lot more in just a moment. So please don't go away. We will be right back. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, welcome back. Mark Daly and Mark Hamilton here talking about the British Grand Prix that we saw go down at the legendary and iconic Silverstone uh, this uh, this morning here on the west coast of North America. Yes, so as we mentioned, let's just go down the top 10 here, the, the final race classification. We had uh, Max Verstappen winning 3.79 seconds, so 3.8 seconds out of Lando Norris. Uh, Lewis Hamilton rounded out the podium. Then you had Oscar Piastri and George Russell for McLaren and Mercedes, respectively. Sergio Perez, Fernando Alonso, Alexander Albon, Charles Leclerc, and Carlos Sainz rounding out the top 10. So, Mark, let's talk about the start of the race itself, because that was pretty exciting stuff. And when they came around for the formation lap, and Martin Brundle even mentioned it on Sky Sports, made a, made a real point to, to mention the way that Lando had really aggressively had positioned his car about 20 to 30 degrees towards Max Verstappen at the start to really try and take advantage of that. And I don't know if Max's car went into to, to anti-stall or Lando was only a fraction, you know, 
better the reaction time to get off the grid there but he came flying out of his start box past max oscar piastri was all over him looked like max might even be p3 before we were two or three quarters into this uh into this race but it looked great to see those uh, two mclarens there flying around at the, the 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 front of the grid not just at the beginning of the race all race long but i mean ultimately it just seemed like it would be um a matter of time before Max, you know, caught up and passed Lando. And I know at the end of the race, it was just under four seconds, the gap between Max and Lando. And I know, I think we probably have to take that with, I, I think we have to put the asterisk beside that because we did have a VSE that went full safety car because of the, uh, the blow up that we saw with, uh, with, with K mag there when his uh, Ferrari power unit decided to self combust and <laughs> <laughs> or well, no, I guess it did implode, but you know, spontaneous combustion obviously is a thing. So that brought out the full safety car with what, about 15 laps to go. And I think at that point, I think Max had extended the gap the his lead up to about was about 10 seconds or something like that but it, it certainly was smaller than most but it's interesting too because max has kind of been saying some things now that he wants to see some upgrades on the uh, on the car now because i think it was pretty promising what we've seen from from other teams and it's interesting too how we've seen mclaren mercedes kind of pick things up and uh, aston martin kind of uh, you know slid down a little bit to, again today and you know they struggled again a little bit uh, this this weekend, and then you have Sergio Perez kind of doing Sergio Perez things, ending up in P six. Yeah, mean, we, just we should probably enough. talk. Yeah, we should yeah. probably talk about Sergio. Can I can I comment on the beginning of the race because yes, I think please, that's the perfect that place first. to kind of yeah. restart the the show. But that was thrilling, and I yes. was at Silverstone. I've shared this story before, but I was at Silverstone in 2018, and I and on the Saturday in qualifying, Lewis Hamilton pipped pole at the very very last second he was the last car across the line they flash it up on the boards lewis hamilton and pole i swear to god mr daly the ground beneath me shook like the reaction from the crowd that british crowd when lewis hamilton took pole and when i was watching the grand prix today one of the things that really stuck with me was the fact that you could hear the crowd when you could hear the crowd on the broadcast, 480,000 of them or whatever. Well, I guess it wasn't 480,000 at the track that day, but 200,000 people cheering in unison at the fact that one of their homegrown drivers managed to steal away the, the lead on Verstappen. Now, the one thing that I, I should kind of comment on here is, yes, you know what? Lando Norris had a phenomenal start. He had an absolutely brilliant start, but one of the characteristics of the Red Bull, and it it's a benefit to them because it's not a high dead car and it doesn't cook the tires and it doesn't eat through them, which is a huge advantage for them as opposed to the Ferrari. But one of the challenges that that car has is it takes an awful lot of time to activate tires, meaning it takes a lot of time to get heat into cold tires. And the problem today was it was warm and relatively sunny. And shortly before the race, the temperature cooled, the track temperature cooled and the sun disappeared. And then all of a sudden, Max is sitting on pole and he's much more vulnerable because he has ice cold medium tires and to be fair you know lando was on mediums hamilton piastri they all started on the mediums fresh mediums but he was also suddenly more vulnerable because he didn't have any heat in them and it takes that car some time so once he managed to actually activate and fire up those tires it was only a matter of time until he was going to get norris but i think in terms of norris's 
self-confidence, I, I think, and also Piastri, because Piastri was looking super racy at the beginning of this race as well. I think their confidence is going to be incredible. Zach Brown, after the race, was asked about Piastri. And of course, like you said, Piastri missed out on a podium because he came into pit in lap 29, four laps before there was that full safety car. And he could have had that free pit stop. And of course, Lewis comes out in front of him. Uh, Zach Brown said, like, look, he's not worried. We're not worried. He is going to score a ton of podiums. And this was by far his best weekend since he's been a Formula One driver. And I've been very, I was very critical of McLaren for being so daring to pick him up in the way they did last summer, effectively steal him away from Alpine, who've been funding his career. I think we're beginning to see now the reason why they were willing to take on that risk and that that risk of litigation because he's an extremely talented young driver when he's paired with a great car and all, all the respect in the world to him for for that start, man. And now that said, I'm looking here at the pit stops. What did you think? What did you think of the strategy that that McLaren had at the end of this race, lap 29 for Piastri and Norris, lap 33, when they put them onto new hard tires when Verstappen and Hamilton went to used mediums? Yeah, it was interesting because uh, McLaren team principal Andrea Stella basically said it all came down to timing when it came to, to to Lando. And he said, quote, under the virtual safety car, we were happy to go on hard tires because it would have been a problem in terms of warm up. But that the virtual safe, safety car was converted to the into a safety car when we were pitting and everything was ready at the pit stop to put hard tires on. A last minute change to soft would have been an operational problem, end quote. So, you know, just kind of reading between the lines there that, uh, you know, Stella's basically admitting, yeah, we, we chose to go with the hards. The timing was terrible and you know, the, the hard tires were ready to go. And if we decided to you know, switch to softs, then Lando would have been sitting there with no wheels on the car while the rest of the pit crew was running back into the garage <laughs> to grab soft tires and the time ticking away, thereby you know, placing everything in jeopardy. But you know, when they went back to racing, I mean, that was some pretty exciting stuff between Lando and Lewis. Neither of those two drivers budging an inch they were right on the limit lewis was pushing as hard as he could to get around that car lando was defending as hard as he could within limits i thought that uh, that they they, they both I, I thought it was great stuff it, it was fantastic it was hard it was right to the edge and ultimately was safe and lando just did enough to keep the car out in front until he was able to generate enough temperature into those hard tires and then ultimately i think uh, lewis uh, didn't he end up like cooking those soft tires a little bit and then kind of feed it that final you described it perfectly on, yeah. post-race zach brown was asked about the tire decision he's like yeah it was <laughs> he's like it was a bit of a nail biter and he said <laughs> that he and mclaren knew that there were going to be three or four laps where lewis was going to come at him and was going to come at him hard but what they what they had banked on was the fact that lewis was going out with used mediums and they kind of banked on the fact that those tires were going to drop off the cliff especially given the fact that Lewis had to work them so hard to go at Piastri, or not Piastri, they had to work them so hard to go at, at Lando Norris. And of course, that's exactly what happened. The compound worked away. They they degraded very, very quickly. And of course, then he backed off. But it ultimately turned out to be the perfect tire strategy, but it was very brave. And just as, just as Lewis's tires were starting to degrade and drop off the cliff, Lando was starting to heat up and fire up those, those fresh, hard tires. And it turned out to be the perfect perfect tire strategy. But at the time, I think the question is like, what the heck are they doing that Max is coming in? He's going on to use mediums. Lewis is coming in. And I love, and to be honest as well, like they, 
Mercedes could have put Lewis onto a hard tire as well, but I think they went with a, let's take an ultra aggressive approach here. Let's be aggressive. Let's be racy and let's go at them. And we know we've got this window of three or four laps where we can hunt him down and get him. And Lewis, like you said, was super, super close in a couple of those corners. But ultimately, it didn't work out. They still managed to score a podium. But I also liked how aggressive Mercedes was with their strategy there, which was, hey, let's not run, let's not run out a a fresh hard tire and just go nose to nose. Let's bring out a, a used medium and just go hard for four or five laps and see what can happen, see what we can do. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, I mean, it, the, the gamble sort of kind of paid off because they got a podium out of it. And uh, Lewis might uh, feel that uh, had things worked out a little bit differently, he could have been on that second step of the podium rather than than uh, than, than third. But it, it, exciting stuff, you know, and I, I guess now we should uh, maybe, since we've talked about, uh, say, the resurgence of the McLaren and the, the Mercedes, how that, uh, that we've seen Aston Martin kind of like lose a step to everyone else over the last couple of races, because wasn't it, you know, not so long ago that Fernando said that he realistically saw the, you know, the, the, the scenario where he could be on the podium every single race this year. And over the last couple of races, it just obviously hasn't worked out this, uh, that, that, that way. And then if you look at the, the final race classification, you have Lance finishing way down in P14 after having not really a very great qualifying either. I mean, he only qualified, you know, in, in, in 12th, didn't make it out of Q2. So, there's, you know, after a very rosy start to the season, especially for Fernando Alonso, it's uh, become a little bit, uh, yeah, it's become a little bit challenging over the last two, three, four races for for Aston Martin. Daily, this is the perfect time to kind of segue in a question from one of our one friend of the show, Mr. Josh Cooper, but he's messaging us in the background as we're recording this. And he says, with AMR clearly looking like a strong team, does the chairman start to think of replacing Lance or is he committed? And I I agree with you that this weekend was, it was a terrible weekend for Lance. One, the qualifying performance was uh, unacceptably poor. Um, his decision-making and, and his racecraft in terms of picking his corners and carrying his line um, in his qualifying attempts just weren't good enough. And then the fact that he came together with an Alpine and managed to secure a couple of couple of penalty points for himself and a bunch of penalties in race just kind of speaks to the fact that his his general self-awareness of what's happening on the racetrack isn't isn't good enough that I just I cannot build if I'm if I'm an outsider as consultant that's a hired by by Aston Martin Formula One to to make a decision on their driver pairing like throw lots of money at Fernando throw money at him, like do whatever you can to keep him in that seat until he's in his mid fifties. He's delivering tremendous (laughs) value, but Lance, what is the business case to keep him at this point? Like there is no conceivable business case. I think, I think ultimately, I think it'll probably come quickly the decision, but I think ultimately Lawrence Stroll will have to make that decision. And it goes back to something you and I talked about a few weeks ago that even if he doesn't want to do it at some point, his sponsors are going to start asking what WTF Lawrence Stroll, like what that, like Aramco and Cognizant and some of these huge brands that are pumping tens of millions of dollars into that team, they're going to start challenging him on the driver decisions as well. Like, look, we have a two-time world champion in Fernando Alonso, but what is, what is Lance delivering? That if you, if you honestly believe you can contend for a constructor's championship, you can't tell us that like eye to eye, as long as Lance is driving in that car and, you know, people like were making so many excuses for him early on the year. It's like, well, he was injured. He's recovering. Well, if he was injured and he was recovering, he shouldn't have been in the car. 
They they should have had they should have had somebody else in that car. He was good. At, he was healthy enough to drive, so that he should have been at the highest possible level. And if that's the case, he shouldn't have been yeah. in the car. He should have been recovering. Yeah, if, but if, if not, maybe you call Seb Vettel and say, "Hey, Seb, do you want to have a cameo for five races? Exactly, for the beginning of this the, the year or something like that, right? You you don't think Seb would have been like? And I don't know. I don't want to speak for Seb. Like I think he's enjoying retirement. But like <laughs> Seb, like hey, this car that looks really good in winter testing. You want to come in a partner up with Fernando Alonso for a couple of races like that would have been that could have been phenomenal but then of course if he's successful how do you possibly bring lance back into the car and maybe that was actually something that aston martin didn't want to do <laughs> maybe was like maybe. put put a, a super rejuvenated vettel in the car but ultimately i think to agree with you i think it was a disappointing softer weekend i think hungary is the kind of track that that should be it should respond. I think the car, I should say the MR23 should respond well to Hungary in a way that they don't to, to Silverstone and post race. Fernando Alonso was asked like, Hey, how are you feeling? How are you vibing? Because of course they had a P5 in Austria. They had a P7 in Great Britain. He hasn't scored a podium since Canada when of course he had that P2. And he's like, look, we have tons of great weekends ahead. And I, I totally agree that they do, but I also very much agree with Josh that, Hey, that's a question we need to all be asking. About yeah, well, I, I mean, yeah, hundred percent. I mean, if you look at uh, the result today, Fernando is P seven, Lance is P fourteen. I mean, if they're driving like identical equipment, I mean, that delta between them. I mean, if, if Fernando is driving at like some ridiculously high level that Lance can't match, I mean, that that's one thing. But you would think that like that that gap between them wouldn't be that huge, considering between Lance Stroll is a Haas, a Alfa Romeo. <laughs> a Williams, uh, sorry, two Williams and two Ferraris. You know, I, it just, uh, I mean, certainly he should be ahead of the Haas, should be ahead of the the Alpha, should be ahead of the, the, the two Williams, and arguably he should be ahead of the two Ferraris. I mean, if, if Fernando can do that, I mean, if, if they're not like matching up on the track to say Mercedes and Red Bull and McLaren at this point in time, okay, maybe the other team has got a bit of jump on them. Maybe their car hasn't been suited to the last couple of tracks. These things uh, come, but the fact is that the gap between between Fernando and Lance right now, not just in the race, but like in, in every aspect of the weekend at the moment is just a uh, night and day. Like it, you know, like, like, like Josh, so, you know, nicely pointed out is when do they start asking those, those tough questions? And when does this actually become a thing? Because you laid it out nicely because there, there's a hundred different, you know, interested parties that have, uh, you know, a very good reason to want a very capable driver in that car besides Fernando Alonso. So who's demonstrated countless times this year what this uh, Aston Martin is capable of. I, and it's it's funny, like you talk about, well, he finished P14. And there's going to people be people out there that will argue like, well, he finished P14 because he had a penalty. He had a penalty because he collided with, with Pierre Gasly, destroyed Pierre Gasly's rear suspension, ended his race. That That's why, like, if you, if you don't want to suffer penalties, which affect your race classification, don't make contact with other cars and justifiably too. And it has been announced now officially that he's been handed two penalty points on his FIA license uh, because of that contact. So just like forget his 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 practice performance forget his forget his qualifying performance on a dry track he came together with Pierre Gasly ended his race and ultimately scored himself two penalty points on his FIA license like that's that's a terrible weekend for Lance Stroll 
Yeah, I, I think what uh, at, at, at the moment is buying him a little bit of time. If you look in the constructors, obviously Red Bull's running away with it, 411 points. Mercedes is now second in the constructors with a 203. So that uh, that nice uh, spot that they had in the constructors uh, for, for second for quite some time has evaporated because like Aston Martin is now 181. But, you know, Ferrari is not really that far behind in fourth with 157 points. If they start closing that gap, and Ferrari hasn't really been anything special this year uh, to, to to speak of for many reasons that we've talked about for weeks and months, so we don't really re- need to reopen that. I mean, they've they've already lost ground to Mercedes because George and and Lewis haven't been winning races, but they've been consistent all season long, picking up points where that they where they can and where they've been able to, and, and that that's why they have two hundred three points in the constructors and they're 22 points ahead of their competitors at the moment but the thing is that if they lost ground because i mean there's a mile between ferrari and mclaren who only have 59 points in the constructors there's there's 98 points so i mean this is like a four horse race at the top of the constructors if they ended up behind ferrari at the end of the year that would be a complete disaster because i mean by rates they should still be in, in in second and i mean you know given i mean you don't get teams like mercedes and Red Bull dominating a season like uh, like all the time. So I mean, for everybody, well, you do, but everybody else, their their season ebbs and flows. So you can see this back and forth. But at, at this point in time, where we've seen them struggle over the past couple of races, and Lance, you know, specifically, so. I only fear for Aston Martin that this gap between Mercedes is going to grow and that gap between themselves and Ferrari is going to shrink. And I think that if they ended up fourth in the constructors at the end of the season would be a complete disaster. I think now is probably a good time to pivot to uh, to Red Bull because I'm super excited to talk about Sergio Perez for very much the same reason. We I was should, excited to yes. talk about Lance, but we should probably take a break before we do yes. that. Let, let's do that because that is another question from our friend Josh Cooper. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we're kind of segueing here and we're, we're kind of writing He's on like Josh's He's basically writing the show for us. Writing the show <laughs> for us go. in real time. There we go. So we'll, we'll come back. We'll answer Josh's question and everyone's question, hopefully, uh, after this. So don't go away. We will be right back. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All 
All right, welcome back. Uh, we're talking British Grand Prix. Specifically, now we're talking Red Bull. And I guess now we're before, specifically before going... Before we oh, talk before, Sergio, before. so I think we're due to... Because God knows if I don't, my mailbox will fill up with hate. But uh, I want to make sure <laughs> more we, give, hates? Yeah, we give Max his, his flowers. <laughs> so a couple of really interesting takeaways. Yep. So Max obviously set the, the fastest qualifying time in Q3 with a 126.720. That was two tenths ahead of Lando Norris. And of course, at one point, it looked like Lando was going to take pole. But of course, Max... Max, as always, comes in at the very last second, as he's known to do and kind of pips qualifying. Um, he also finished with the fastest lap in the race at 132.75. He wins the Grand Prix. Notably, this is his sixth straight Formula One Grand Prix race victory. Of course, the last person to win a Grand Prix that wasn't him was Sergio Perez before Sergio Perez's downslide began. Uh, that kind of joint, that kind of pairs him with some other greats in Formula One history. Uh, so Mr. Ascari, uh, Michael Schumacher, Sebastian Vettel, and Nico Rosberg have all scored six or more straight Formula One victories. I think the Rosberg example is probably the most recent. He did three at the end of 20. 15 and four to start 2017. So we had a seven race straight streak, but ultimately he's looking really good from a Red Bull perspective. They've won 20 of the last 21 races and going back to the beginning of the 2022 season, they have won 27 of the last 32 races. And this was a really good call out from Luke Smith here on Twitter. He says that with a 99 point lead, Max can win the championship without winning another race the rest of the year. Now, we'd have to finish P2 pretty much in every one of those races, but he could go the rest of the year without winning another Grand Prix, and he would still, still, still take this championship. So I just want to make sure that we we acknowledge that Max, his his phenomenal season continues. I thought it was interesting a couple of minutes ago that you noted that, hey, he's, he's starting to get a little bit hungry for some upgrades because maybe he starts to feel that gap dissipating. But ultimately, he was full value for this race win. He was fantastic all weekend. Um, but I think his teammate is where you and I should probably talk a little bit more about, and that's Sergio Perez. Yeah, I mean, as much as Max deserves all the like the credit and all the headlines, because I mean, he's been driving at such an incredibly high level for such an incredibly long time. And when we talk about like uh, drivers, you know, being consistent, I mean, it is just ridiculous how consistently fast and how consistently good Max is. I mean, he never puts a wheel wrong anytime he gets behind the steering wheel of the car. But that, I think, frames it nicely when it comes to the discussion about his teammate, because, you know, two months ago, people were saying, oh, this this is going to be a championship uh, between Sergio and Max. And I think we were kind of like, uh, well, no, not really. I mean, even if it came down to it, I'm pretty sure that the team would step in at some point. But I mean, that that discussion is completely evaporated now because now I wonder if the discussion is, well, not only is Sergio Perez in that Red Bull next year, but is he in that car come the end of the season? Because I mean, he's struggled now for several races in a row. And uh, you look again, he didn't make it out of Q1. He finished P6 because the, the, the thing is, right, when we talk about like the, the Mercedes domination from 2014, up until, let's say, 2020, right? So those seven, eight seasons in a row there. I mean, it was always Nico and Lewis or Lewis and Valtteri. I mean, they were one and two or they were, it seemed they were always on the podium, even if they had a, an off weekend and they rarely had an off weekend. And the thing is, we're seeing similar dominance and a similar, you know, car, not technically, obviously, but 
the car for Red Bull that can deliver them a similar situation that we watched uh, Mercedes do over the past uh, decade. But Sergio has certainly struggled the last uh, couple of months, and it's 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 pretty bad because he shouldn't have finished P6. I mean, this should have been another Red Bull 1-2. A couple of weeks ago should have been a, a Red Bull 1-2. And as, uh, you know, Crofty was saying at the start of the race that, you know, Ferrari, Mercedes, et cetera, were worried about Sergio because they see a situation where he could be on the podium at the end of the race. Well, the thing is, if you're Christian Horner and Red Bull and, and, and Helmut Marko, you do not want to have like that scenario where people are talking about your second car should be on the podium at the end of the race because those two cars should be driving off into the distance right from the moment the lights turn green, right? Yeah, I think this is a, a major point of conversation. And I think there was a light, lot of hyperbole about this conversation earlier in the, the, the season. Of course, you know, he started with a, a P2 in Bahrain. He scores the race win in Saudi. He scores another race win in Baku. But a couple of really startling statistics is one, he's only only been to Q3 four times this year. In 10 attempts, he's only been to Q3 four times. More worryingly, he hasn't qualified in the top 10 in the last five Grand Prix. And if you look at the composition of those races, well, like there's a Monaco, Spain, Canada, Austria, Great Britain, like there's a variety of different race tracks here. And he was, he was asked post race about his, his weekend. And he's like, what, like, what is it that, that you're struggling with so much? And he was very candid. And he said, ultimately it all comes down to Saturday. Saturday is terrible. He feels he has really great race pace, but that's irrelevant when you're starting P15, P16 on the grid and you have to chew up your tires, getting through all these midfield drivers. Right. I, I think his biggest, his biggest struggle is, is qualifying. And I think some of that could be psychological. Logical. Um, he did say post race that he and the team, and he continues to stress that he has the full support of Helmut Marco and Christian Horner and everyone in the back at the factory. He says that he and the team are aware of the issue that is causing him to struggle on Saturday and qualifying, and that they hope to rectify it starting this week with some simulator time. So it'll be interesting to see in two weeks whether he can put in some really solid qualifying performances, session one, session two, session three. But it's been a disaster. And ultimately, like you said, like he should be scoring a P2 finish in every single Grand Prix. And right now he's sitting 99, a mind boggling 99 points behind Max Verstappen. But more alarmingly, he's only 19 points up on Fernando Alonso, despite the fact that Fernando Alonso has had a P5 and a P7 finish in his last two races and hasn't exactly been clawing in the points like he has been earlier in the season. Um, there's been obviously a tremendous amount of speculation. I think Oliver Harden over at Planet F1 wrote about this on Saturday about the fact that his time with this team could be near. And obviously it's going to create a lot of kind of fever pitch media coverage, but Daniel Ricardo has some seat time in the Red Bull because he's going to be doing tire testing soon. And obviously there's going to create, that's going to create a ton of speculation. If you look at the very, and it's kind of funny too, now that I think about it, but you have the, the Honda powered teams bookmarking the top and the bottom of the championship, but obviously Nick DeVries continues to struggle. He finished P17 this weekend for Alpha Tauri. There's ongoing speculation that he could be replaced at some point, possibly with Daniel Ricardo, which could set up a replacement of Sergio Perez at the beginning of next year. 
Daniel Ricardo also asked this weekend about a potential seat at Alpha Tower, and he said he's very open to that so long as it leads to a potential seat at Red Bull. So people are now openly having these conversations, and we know that Max Verstappen is going to win this title, and Red Bull is going to win the constructors' title. But they're going to win the constructors' title on the back of Max, and like you and I have said before, at 255 points, he's basically leading the constructors' championship himself because Mercedes, who's sitting P2, only has. 203 points. So, uh, so if you're, again, if you're, if you're Red Bull, you're going to be asked a lot of the same questions that Aston Martin is being asked of Lance Stroll, which is, Hey, what is he contributing to the team? Like, is he, is he a detractor? Or is he adding value? And if he's not adding value, he's not helping with your relationships with your sponsors. You know, it's interesting uh, because uh, Sam Cooper over at Planet F1 just posted an article before we sat down to record this uh, show, just uh, speaking specifically about some comments made by Christian Horner regarding Danny Ricardo. And I'll just uh, read this out uh, because uh, Sam's done a nice uh, job to, to sum up this quote. And it says, um, so just uh, speaking about uh, the you know potential to put Danny Ricardo back into Red Bull, Christian Horner told the media, including Planet F1, the following quote, it's not something that we're planning that's for certain so it was right to give him the opportunity this year to remain within the team and to keep him around the sport i think it would have been a loss to the sport for him to just disappear and i think that i didn't recognize the daniel of the last couple of years so i'll be very interested to see what kind of job he does on tuesday it is an important test for pirelli but it's also going to be great to see him back in a red bull car and to see what he can do where he's at both on pace and mentally, physically, and to get his feedback on the car as well. So I think it's just a good opportunity for him to get back behind the wheel of a car that just won the British Grand Prix, end quote. Dude, so it's you know, an audition. You know, he, he absolutely set that up precisely. as an audition. Yeah, it, it's funny because he said it's not something that we're planning, but he hasn't said, oh, it's not going to happen. So, you know, I think you got to read between the lines there a, a, a little bit because I, do, I don't know if um, if if uh, that Danny was specifically brought in to be insurance. I, I don't, don't think, think so. so. I don't believe so no. either. I don't believe so. I no. think the circumstances have changed, though. Yes. Oh, definitely the circumstances have changed because, I mean, I don't think there's any doubt that when, when Sergio first got to Red Bull, it took him a bit of time to get, you know, get, you know, get used to the car, get familiar with it. And ultimately he did that. And then this year he started very, very well in the season. But, uh, you know, as we just uh, was discussing the last uh, number of minutes that, you know, the, those struggles have, uh, you know, developed uh, over time, but it'll be very interesting to see, like you say, when he gets, the, you know, uh, sorry, Checo, that is when he gets that uh, sim time this week, whether or not that uh, that that helps him, because I would be very interested to see what um, you know what the issue is, because obviously they haven't divulged what uh, could be a bit of an Achilles heel for Perez, but uh, it's just like what all of a sudden has he started doing differently? Because it's like he got to a certain point and literally just fell off the cliff, right? Yeah. You know what this does remind me of? And I, I don't think you and I were doing the podcast at the time, but this this feels so much like the conversation about Lewis Hamilton and Valtteri Bottas in 17, 18, 19, 20, which is, is he doing enough? Is is he is he contributing enough? And then and I think in 2019, he started really strong and everyone said, wow, it's Valtteri Bottas 2.0. And then his performance kind of created, I shouldn't say created, but dropped off significantly from there. And I think the conversation is, He's doing enough to enable the team to secure a constructors championship, but is he 
doing enough to push Max in the way. And Max probably isn't the type of driver that needs to be pushed. But all of that said, it, it's a similar dichotomy for for Red Bull in the way that it was for Mercedes, which is there were more talented drivers and they could have replaced Valtteri Bottas with a better driver. But does that unbalance the relationship between he and Lewis Hamilton? Is that disruptive in Lewis's chase for world championships? And in this case, I don't think anyone could unbalance Max whatsoever. But I think it is an interesting question. And like you, you said, like six races ago, this wasn't a conversation. And here we are almost at the midpoint of the summer. It's like, does he finish the season? And I'm sure he will. But I, I mean, I didn't expect that we would be having this conversation. And I also believe Christian Horner, when Christian Horner says, look, we brought Daniel in just because we wanted to have him here. He's he's charismatic and he's a part of the Red Bull family. They didn't bring him in with the expectation that he was going to be in consideration to drive for Alpha Tauri, let alone Red Bull. But again, here we are on July 9th having that conversation. Yeah, it's interesting too, because I mean, the the way that things are going and the fact that the other teams aren't really closing the gap to Red Bull at all in the constructors. And like you said, a few minutes ago, Max is single-handedly leading the constructors championship basically on his own, right? With the amount of points that he scored. But I mean, for Mercedes, it wasn't necessarily that way. I mean, uh, Bottas definitely was there to not only just uh, push Lewis and keep uh, Lewis sharp, but he, he wasn't quite as much of a challenge to, to Lewis as Nico Rosberg was at times. I mean, Nico obviously won a world championship way back in 2016, but Bottas very much was there to help win constructors championships. Because if you look in 2017, Mercedes wins the constructors 680, sorry, 668 points and Ferrari's 522. So that's fairly big, but they're not walking away with it. In 2018, it's 655 for Mercedes, 571 for Ferrari. 2019, Mercedes 739 to 504 for Ferrari. But by that time, Vettel was fading and, you know, things were going the wrong way for Ferrari. But I mean, definitely in those first couple of years that uh, Bottas w- was with the team, I mean, he's re- required to do that. So, I mean, maybe Checo gets a little bit of a, a little bit of a, I wouldn't say an extension, but maybe that like that pressure doesn't get ratcheted up at the moment just because they have this gargantuan lead in the constructors at the moment that that nobody's going to catch unless something drastic happens. But, you know, certainly if things don't improve, I mean, maybe he, you know, maybe he does see out the re- rest of the year. And but the question is, who would they put that car in for or put in that car for 2024? Because we all know the history with Red Bull that they aren't afraid to make changes. And they're certainly not afraid to make changes in the middle of a season, but it would be um, it, it certainly would be tough for Ricardo because he just doesn't have the conditioning that the rest of these uh, drivers do that have eight, nine, ten races in 2023 under their belt so far. But uh, certainly there's going to be a lot of questions you know, being asked of uh, some of these uh, drivers and kind of makes you wonder that if uh, Perez got let go by Red Bull, you know, would Charles Leclerc have like, for example, have his uh, agent make a phone call or or Carlos Sainz, who obviously has a a tie into Red Bull for, for example. So I guess maybe Mark, uh, is there anything else we want to talk about quickly before we wrap it up? Maybe just a couple of other bullet points real quick. Big shout out to Lando, a driver of the day, much deserved. Um, Definitely a big shout out to Logan Sargent. I, I think he showed, I think he showed some pace this weekend that maybe we weren't expecting to see all, all week. After Lance got demoted, he finished P11. So just on the outside of the points. Uh, but obviously, I think he's got 
I shouldn't say he's got an opportunity to score points this season, but it's more likely now, especially with the upgraded FW45 than it has been. But it's really nice to see the young American driver make some good impression on on the Formula One world at at Silverstone. Uh, Lewis Hamilton, a record 14th Silverstone podium. In fact, this is the 11th British Grand Prix in a row that he scored a podium dating back to 2014. So I thought that was worth calling out. And then the last question I have for you is, I watched the F1 TV Pro broadcast with Julian Palmer and James Hinchcliffe. And it's funny because yesterday I recorded a show with Matt Clark, which is going to drop in a couple of days. Matt Clark, of course, his management team includes former IndyCar, former six-time IndyCar race winner, James Hinchcliffe. And I asked him, like, is James enjoying doing these stints of of doing commentary for F1? He said he's loving it. But dude, I thought it was phenomenal. I thought the James Hinchcliffe, Julian Palmer tandem was fantastic. And I think that James might be the first North American commentator that could kind of make headway in, in Europe. Like I think oftentimes Europeans will dismiss a North American commentator or analyst or pundit right away just because they don't have a lot of experience in the sport. Um, and I feel like Danica Patrick has received some unnecessary blowback because I think she's been pretty good. Mm-hmm. But James Hinchcliffe, yep. dude, I thought he was phenomenal and I thoroughly enjoyed listening to him during the race and post-race when he was doing the post-race show too. So, well, that that's a great point because, uh, you know, I always just go to the international feed, which is Sky. So, you know, based on that recommendation, you've piqued my interest. I'm, I'm really go back good. Really good. I enjoyed watch it. some of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, the, and that's the thing, too. I mean, Jolien didn't really have the most successful Formula One career. I mean, he was with Renault when Renault wasn't really all that competitive, even though they're not really that much more competitive now as Alpine. But certainly I found that when he got out of the car and went up into the commentary booth, I thought that uh, he had a certain, you know, he displayed a certain knack and talent for that. So now that, uh, you know, that uh, you, you've given that uh, really good, uh, you know, summary, I, I'm I'm really curious. I'm going to go check it out later on and see what Hinch has to say. The last word that or I have. how he did. Totally, dude. And the last the, the last thing that I'll add for the show, and I'm going to quote here from the race.com, but this is a summary of Ferrari's performance today. They write, Signs was just 0.02 seconds off topping Friday, but then turned into only a fourth and a fifth place on Saturday in a prettiest, hit, pretty hideous race to ninth and 10th. The strategy calls looked wrong all throughout, but it might just be scapegoating at this point. The SF23 was blatantly not good enough to make things work, dropping like a stone away from the McLarens, hanging on for dear life under pressure from the Mercedes duo and proving of little help to its drivers who are routinely so close on lap time that it feels like they're hitting the limit of the package in fighting a Williams FW45 laid on. The hard Looked a terrible tire when Claire fitted it early in the race. It looked great when the two MCL 60s got under them. That's just where we are now. So I know we didn't get a chance to talk a lot about Ferrari, but I don't think there's a lot of positive takeaways from their, from their Sunday. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think just uh, before we uh, wrap up, uh, you know, we, we've hinted at it a couple times, but let's just uh, quickly go down the top five of the Drivers' Championship. Oh, we should do uh, fantasy Verstappen. too, by the way. Sorry. Oh, I, if you got fantasy, yeah, yeah I'll, I'll do, do the, the Drivers. Yeah. You get uh, get uh, fantasy uh, queued up and we'll do that uh, before we turn off the lights. So uh, in the 2023 Formula One World Championship driver standings, we have Max Verstappen and Red Bull leading the way with 255 points. That is 99 points ahead of his teammate Sergio Perez, who has 100. 156. Fernando Alonso from Aston Martin has 137. 
Lewis Hamilton, 121. Carlos Sainz has 83. And I guess it also bears mentioning that George Russell, the second Mercedes driver, is only a point out of fifth in the uh, Drivers' Championship. He's only one point behind uh, Carlos Sainz with 82. So there you go. So over to fantasy, what uh, what sort of changes do we have Not this a weekend? lot. I, I always talk about the fact that there's nice. so much change, but there wasn't. So no dose kind of clings on to the number one spot. Vince Des one is number two. That's no change. His second team, Vince Des team two, moved up to slot three. Also in slot three, Ole's Lena's. Falling to spot five, L1, F1. Staying static at P6, Nathan's team staying static at P7, the good guy won. Staying at P8, Bengals, Bubs, also at P8, the bad guy, bye-bye. Staying at number 10, Red Devil, seven, up to 11, up to Noah Good. Still at number 11, Buenos Diaz, staying locked into P13, Charles Ciel, moving up to 14, Gotifi team. That's interesting. I don't think we've seen Gutifi team in the top 15 this year. No, I don't think and so. And sliding nope. to P15, fire ferret. So not a lot of change at the top. This number one spot and the number two spot seem to be seem to be kind of locked in. And I'm sitting number 241. So I'm 300 points behind the number one finisher. <laughs> uh, I haven't checked, so I don't want to know where I am at the moment. So <laughs> there we go. And on that note, let's uh, wrap it up there. If you want to get in touch, send us an email at scooteryf1pod at gmail.com. We're going to take a hard look at our social media presence here coming up. But in the meantime, you can always tweet us at scooteryf1pod on Twitter. And if we make any changes or do anything else, we'll let you know about that shortly. And that's it. That's uh, that's it for myself and Mr. Mark Hamilton. Enjoy the rest of your weekend, and we'll be back in a couple of days for the weekly news show. Look out for the return of the return of the return of the return of the Mac. Mac is obviously in the ring of honor. He's been on the show, what, three, four times now as he updates his uh, his career, and uh, look forward to hearing what, uh, what what Mac's up to and what an exciting talent that uh, that this driver is, and uh, can't wait for that to, to drop. And as Mark said, that'll drop in your feed in a couple of days at the start of the week, so certainly check that out as well and that's it that's a wrap have a great week and we'll talk to you again soon bye for now <laughs>